Father, on this beautiful morning in Malibu, we come as clay pots and sometimes only broken pots, vessels that are to be used with you. And when we proclaim your word, Father, we do with great humility because we know our own sins and our own weaknesses, our own propensities, our own biases. We try our best, Father, to actually proclaim what you want us to and give us wisdom beyond measure. Give us clarity of speech. For people lead us. And when we open your word, your word leads us. In the name of Christ, Amen. 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 So hopefully everybody received the handout. If you didn't, there's some right over there. If you'll raise your hand, some of our good brothers over here might be uh, able to make sure you get a copy. I do have a digital copy up on screen, and we're also happy to send you a digital copy if you would like. You can email Grady, um, Grady at hopenetworkministries.org, uh, or you can email me, Greg, Greg at team, T-A-M-I-M-P dot com, and we'll be happy to get a digital copy to you. And I'll give you those email addresses again before we wrap up. So what we're going to do this uh, morning is kind of treat this research like an executive book briefing, if you will, slide deck when we created the final draft of what the data told us was well over 200 slides long. Knowing the world, of course, we can do that. So we really tried to pull some of the more salient points from the data. Set the context for you. Pepperdine has a, a wonderful history with the Lilly Foundation. The Lilly Foundation uh, decided to launch grant opportunities for uh, universities and other research organizations to partner with them in a compelling preaching initiative. The primary research question was, what makes preaching compelling? And uh, we created a survey in partnership with Pepperdine. That survey was launched nationwide. We had over 2,000 participants. Uh, you can see the demographic breakdown of those participants in your handout. We also have them up here on the screen. Uh, so we had 2,269 people that participated in the survey. Not every single person answered every single question. And so as we go through, you'll see the numbers vary a little bit. Uh, but we feel like this is a really good sample. It's a very broad sample. Um, and so we feel like the, the feedback that we got is, is some pretty solid data. Um, Pepperdine was awarded a $1 million grant as a result of this um, survey. Um, and that was not exclusively because of the survey, but it certainly had a lot to do with it. And they will be studying compelling preaching over the next five years as a result of that grant. So we give glory to God for an incredible door that's been opened. And uh, the wonderful thing is, I believe 40 agencies were awarded at least some measure of grant, if I, I believe that's the correct number. So Pepperdine is part of a much greater cohort that's going to really be taking a close look at what makes for compelling preaching. And so the, what, the way we're going to work through this is just to um, basically take a kind of a section at a time. Uh, we'd like to ask you maybe to circle some of those things that really get your attention. We're going to emphasize a few things that, that got our attention. And so what I'm going to do is uh, turn it over to Grady and let him kind of walk us through this first section on sermon design and delivery. And then I'll pop back up and uh, talk then a little bit about some compelling characteristics of preaching ministers. So one of the first questions that was asked was, how important is it that the sermon is firmly rooted in Scripture? Well, 88.63% of all respondents were essential or very important. That's no surprise, right? That, that's really no surprise. And responses averages decrease among teens. That's really not a surprise, but it's still very high. 
and adult church members uh, and priests among elders and shepherds, of course, and adult church members, of course. So one of the broadest gaps that surfaced in response to the question, how important is it that the sermon is comforting and reassuring? This was a little bit surprising, Greg. Yeah. So how is it surprising to you? Well, it, it's intriguing to me that um, if you look at the, the data points here, about 6% of the established groups, and when we say established groups, those are the adults, those are the church staff members, those are the university professors, so, so basically those folks who have been in the church for a while, and we would, we would consider that, of course, to be established. Even attendance patterns, because I think the majority of our adults that responded, I want to say uh, almost all of them were consistent uh, attenders, but only 6% said that it's essential that the sermon is comforting and reassuring. So as we go a little bit deeper into the data, something that's fascinating to us, we tend to want to hire pastors, but the data indicated to us that the church really wants a preacher. <laughs> it's just interesting, it's interesting. Now, of course, we have to take this right, we have to contextualize it in every situation, but it, that's just, that really got our attention. That's exactly right. It, it, and if you notice the bullet points, the sermon, what's the most important characteristics of the sermon design and, and delivery by target audience? The sermon is firmly rooted in Scripture. Well, we already said that. All adults, very important, essential, very important, okay? The sermon is engaging and motivating. Adult, non-church members, 42.5% essential and therefore very important. I think that's really interesting. So the last point, then I'll give you my the sermon touches directly on the everyday lives of listeners. So, quick little story. My daughter and son-in-law son with my two grandsons, uh, five-month-old and almost three-year-old, moved back to Connecticut last month. So they're 15 minutes from me now. And I love hearing Papa. And I said, where are you guys going to church? You, need, you kids need to find church. And so they said, yeah, yeah, we, we will, we will. I said, okay. So last Sunday, they took initiative went to a church. And it's kind of a non-denominational, evangelical, franchise kind of church. It's close to the house and they went and they, they came back and my daughter, she says, Daddy, are you coming over Monday before you go to Pepper Dye? And I said, sure. I want to see the boys. I don't care about you. <laughs> she said, uh, I want to talk to you about what we experienced here. That's what you experienced. She said, the guy read the sermon, handed out exactly the same notes with fill in the blanks. And he'd go back behind the pulpit, read a little bit, come back and talk. There's five Five franchises of this church. And it was on the screen, the giant screen. He was in their life. And the application was Jesus is God's Son. Now, what I'm trying to get at here is that she says, Dad, one, you're my favorite preacher. Well, she does like Bill Brooks and a few other people. But anyway, and she says, I, I, I want somebody that's passionate, that's deeply coming from where he is in his life. And the application needs to be very specific to life. The application was far too general. Mm -hmm. This is bearing that out, mm -hmm. that they want scripture applied in very specific, concrete ways. Now they may not like it, right? Right. As long as you teach the Bible, it's okay. As long as you apply the Bible, then you're met, you know. But that's what this is saying. So that, that's what I get out of that. Yeah. And hang on to that word passion. Could, could you say a word about your adult non-church members who, in your 
combinations. It could have been folks who have turned away from the church, but it also could be folks. Uh, we had some instances, for example, of friends, of team members who brought their friends, but they're not yet believers. And so it was, it was, it was all over the board. Yes, yes, sir. That's true. That's true. But qualitatively, still a pretty good sample. Pretty good sample size. So hang on to that word passion. We're going to come back to that. That's going to be a very key word a little bit later on uh, when we get a little bit deeper. Anything else you saw here, Grady? The shocking one's the last bullet point. Yeah. We talked about that yesterday. Right. Go ahead. Well, this was intriguing to us. The sermon uses technology like audio or visuals and video is the least compelling characteristic. So what have we spent the last 30 years in our infrastructure spending the most money on? All right? Or a lot of money on it. So we were really, that really, really caught our attention. And it's not that we didn't hear, and even when we did some of our open comment sections, we, no one said, you've got to get rid of all your, your video stuff. You've got to get rid of all your audio support stuff. But it's fascinating to us that every single age group, it was the least compelling characteristic. The sermon uses technology like visuals and video. Um, and, and if you think about particularly our teens right now, and as a president of a Christian school, K-12, I can tell you the platforms like TikTok, you know, social sites, I mean, Discord, I mean, the, the kids are just spending hours and hours and hours <coughs> immersed in um, just a digitally saturated world. And so in some ways, we may be able to provide almost a, a Sabbath, you know, a Sabbath rest, a, a, a little bit of a break. Could be. Yeah. That that is very possible. We are so used to it that it's, it's really more of an afterthought. Yes. Yeah. That that is that is for sure possible. But certainly intriguing uh, to think about, you know. And so it will be interesting to engage your own congregation and find out if they're experiencing the same thing that the data is telling us. Um, and so. I think that would be a, I think that would be a great conversation to have and see how it might shape how you move forward. Don't underestimate the power, Greg. Um, I'm sorry, I interrupt. No, go ahead. Don't underestimate the power of rhetoric. Words shape reality. Language matters. Spending time on crafting things does not mean you're not coming from your heart. And so words shape reality. And and I, you know, one of the complaints that my own wife and my kids gave me growing up was. Yeah, it can take a lot of words to say something that can be said a lot shorter. That's true about variety, too. And we have to work really, well, just give us a 20-minute sermon. Well, my introduction is 20 minutes, and you just got to get over it. To have a point. Words shape reality. Language matters. And so we can create word pictures and explore the things that become visual in the sermon as opposed to finding the cute, cute, beautiful, wonderful Idaho sunset. It is intriguing that we did ask youth ministers to respond uh, about where they thought their teens were. And then we also interviewed teens and basically asked, where are you? And so it was interesting that youth ministers indicated the sermon is comforting and reassuring um, that that would be one of the least compelling characteristics. But if you look back up, 
closer to the top on how important is it that the sermon is comforting and reassuring that second bullet point. Um, 36.8% of teens said it was essential. So that's intriguing. Um, and um, not surprising, I don't think, because our kids live in a very unsafe world right now, right? So a little bit of comfort, a little bit of reassurance. How much of that is healthy? How much of that is a pathological <laughs> misunderstanding? I have no idea, but that is what the data uh, pointed out to us. And the other, some of the other data you'll see is that just, there's a juxtaposition between uh, that company assuring and conviction and passion. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if they're going to default to something, then with conviction and passion, that's rooted in reality. Yeah. 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 Okay, so we looked then at some compelling characteristics of preaching ministers. Um, please just follow along in your handout. Participants were asked to identify the most desired characteristics of preaching ministers. So this was um, something that we borrowed from the Interim Ministry Partners Playbook as they have done surveys all over the United States. And we took some of those same uh, characteristics, desired characteristics of a preaching minister, and we asked all of these groups uh, some of these questions about, hey, what makes for um, just a, a great man in the pulpit or a, a great preacher in the pulpit who is sharing uh, the word of God? And um, speaker, an effective communicator, 38% uh, essential, 47% very important. A partner works cooperatively with our elders, 43% essential, 39% very important. Non-church members, and this is where this starts to get interesting, because what uh, people want as far as speakers and partners, are, uh, uh, as far as those who are already engaged in church life, versus those who may not be uh, and or are very young, non-church members indicated they want someone who deals with conflict, effectively deals with conflict, 41% or 48%. Or a mentor, someone who helps people develop their spiritual lives, 32% essential, 46% very important. So that's, it's just interesting, right? That our people in the pew have a little bit of a different desired outcome <laughs> than our people who are not. Yeah, people coming from the, the non-church people coming from a highly anxious, toxic world are looking for someone that can provide them some, some peace and ways through the conflict as well as giving somebody that has some wisdom. I want to say it, a mentor. I want, I want someone that has some how to help me do life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how scalable is that in your context? You know, because outside of the outside of sermons, how much bandwidth will your preaching minister have to be in that mentoring role, coaching role, guiding role, versus something that potentially could be multiplied in the context of the congregation, where you're equipping your shepherds and or others in the organization in the church to be able to uh, serve in those roles. Um, and I think as we work through the data a little bit more, you're going to start seeing how some of this kind of begins to fall into some, some greater overarching themes that become quite visible. Making the story of Jesus very real, powerful, and important, uh, we gave folks uh, choices. Uh, preaching makes the story of Jesus feel real and powerful and important in my life, and those are the choices that you see there on screen and in your handout. I'm not going to read those to you, 
But you'll notice when it's deeply rooted in Scripture was the first choice of 62% of respondents except for teenagers and adult non-church members who chose when it addresses a challenge I'm currently facing. So one of the things that the data kept revealing to us over and over and over again is how much our, our teens, many of whom grew up in our churches, are tracking quite consistently with um, non-church attenders. So uh, that can be troubling, or it can be opportunistic, right, depending on how we look at it as a ministry opportunity. Um, anything you want to say about that, Grady? No. Okay. Areas of focus uh, on a scale of one to five, with one being none or not at all, and five being extremely or constant. We presented folks with a series of uh, statements and or questions. We asked, how compelling is the preaching at your church? How evangelistic? The preaching at my church focuses on discipleship, and how important is it to you personally? So this is intriguing. This was one place where, this, I think if I remember correctly, this is where our elders and our teenagers were most aligned with all the questions that we asked because they indicated the preaching at their church was compelling. Non-church members uh, leaned more toward less compelling. Youth ministers and teens indicated the preaching in their church was evangelistic with preaching ministers leaning more toward their preaching being less evangelistic. So it's fascinating what our, what our folks in our audience, what they're inferring and where some of our preaching ministers are. And maybe they're just, maybe we're kind of good at beating ourselves up a little bit. I'm not really sure. Um, Elder shepherds and teens indicated the preaching at their church was compelling. Uh, Non-church members said that it's less compelling. Youth ministers and teens indicated the preaching was evangelistic. Um, and then, of course, as with being less evangelistic, all groups noted preaching tended to lean toward discipleship focus. So preaching ministers, again, we're on a scale here of 0 to 5, 3.9 indicated that is their highest emphasis. My preaching is, uh, is about discipleship or focuses strongly on discipleship. And then all groups indicated compelling preaching is important at a personal level with preaching ministers 4.11. That's, that's the highest that we scored, topping the list. Non-church members scored just slightly less than active church members. So um, we, want, we feel like it's very, very important, but we're a little bit all over the board related to what it is exactly. So um, I think this next section to me was some of the most interesting and some of the most revealing as far as the data points that we got. Uh, so we asked church members, non-members, and teens to consider two word choices on a continuum. So we basically had two polarities set up. Uh, where they are personally in the response to this statement, I am more compelled by preaching that is. And then the survey basically indicated we, we combined all of this together, averaged out the scores. So people are more compelled by preaching that is more challenging than comforting. Even our teenagers indicated, I want to be challenged more than I want to be comforted. Now, remember, a large percentage of them said that, that they, they want to be comforted, right? We saw that on the first page. But I think this balances it out a little bit. And it wasn't like it was 70-30. Um, I mean, it was, just, it was just basically a little bit over the halfway point, but enough to indicate that I think we can challenge our kids. I think we can be a little bolder 
uh, when we're speaking uh, from God's word. Engages the heart slightly more compelling than engages the head. We were, we were about 50-50 there, but when you think about the established crowd versus our teens and the non-church attenders, um, we can see a little bit of a slide, but not much, not much. More serious than humorous for the older crowd uh, or the more established crowd, but more humorous than serious for the non-church members and teens. That probably doesn't surprise you, right? All, all participants indicated more joyful than somber, with non-church attenders leaning slightly more toward somber. That was interesting. <laughs> that was interesting. And could somber also be sober-minded, serious? Could be. Could be a little more high church oriented, possibly. We think somber is, you know, dull. Yeah. But yeah. I, I don't know. Exactly. Could be. And it's hard. And you can't. Obviously, there's no way to create an exhaustive, you know, perfect survey instrument. And so your definition of the word somber certainly could, could uh, vary. Uh, this fourth bullet point in column two, pro as, we, as we get in a little bit deeper into the data, this more passionate than polished um, is a fascinating piece of feedback. And I'm going to show you something at the end that was probably one of the biggest aha moments for me. But more passionate than, than uh, polished, teens and 249 teenagers answered this particular question, placed a much higher emphasis on passionate. It was uh, a 70-ish percentage range there, yeah. Yeah, so again, not surprising. Um, but that passionate and, and passion in preaching kept coming back over and over and over again. Um, Can I say something? Yeah, please, jump in. Um, I'm, by nature, emotive, intuitive, uh, I'm I lean heavily on my heart. I call it my heart and my head. But then when I went to grad school and did theological education, I thought it was balanced. But I went from my head to my heart. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think a lot of us in the Church of Christ, in particular, with a rationalistic background of logic and rationality, our default is tended to be in our head to communicate information. Yeah. And I, I think this survey. And African-American preaching has the head, but it has a lot more what? A lot more heart. And so I, I think it's a lesson to us that you've got to have some balance between head and heart, which could be thinking and vulnerability, thinking and emotion, thinking and not yelling, screaming. You know I'm not talking about that. That's sure. just my takeaway. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. It does, yeah. Um, more applies scriptural truths to current topics than examine scripture verse by verse. This was surprising because in our partnership with interim ministry partners and in Hope Network Ministries, the churches that we have seen that seem to be getting a lot of traction with growth are churches that expository preaching is very much at the heart of what they do. And so we were a little bit surprised by this. I don't know. Any thoughts on that? Anybody in the audience have any thoughts on that? Why this may have been a little bit different? When you hear expository, when you hear expository what comes to mind to you? Verse by verse, or worse to worse, you know, that's what I used to say. I mean, is it, what is expository preaching? Exposing the text for what it is mm -hmm. and the application. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, more brief and to the point, then it may take a while to explain, but this was intriguing. For teenagers, they uh, leaned a little bit more toward, may take a while to explain. So sometimes we think, 
man, our kids are just so bored. I'm not so sure. <laughs> As I look at this, at least I'm just seeing some hints of, you know, hey, give us some time to digest this. Give us some, uh, don't, don't cattle call us through, you know, and uh, just hope that we get it. So uh, I, was, I was intrigued by that. Again, not, none of these were in extremes. We, we, a lot of what we saw is in the middle, right? Sir? Yes, indeed. So if you're explaining it yeah. and you're doing it well, yes. they're hanging with you. They're going to hang with you. Story. Yeah. But if you're not doing it well, then please be free. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. Which brings up, uh, I listened to a TED talk, or not TED, well, the guy, the guy that took over TED, Anderson, his last name, he, he was being interviewed by Kerry Newhoff. Hmm. And Kerry Newhoff asked him about what's You've got to be very clear. Number two, you've got to give your people a reason to even care. Mm. And he said, what's the main idea you're trying to communicate? I was trained in a generation of homiletics that was rooted in speech, speech departments. And so you got introduction, you got a major thesis, mm. and you got point A, I'm point one, point two, point three, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, huh, the biblical text doesn't always do it that way. Very seldom does it that way. And so I think it's really important to be clear. What's the one, I had it at the top of things, what's the one thing I want to communicate? One thing I want to, uh, one thing I've got to drive home with that. That's it. Not three points and a point. And make, some terms may have three. And get Paul and some of the ethical instructions and stuff, but never just go ahead. Yeah. Um, so at the bottom of page two, we, we gave word choices. Um, in that context, it was from the perspective of what their participants think people are compelled by. So we had a lot of similarities in that section. Uh, church attenders are more compelled by preaching that is challenging, and non-attenders and teens gravitate toward preaching that is comforting. So again, no surprise there. Youth ministers indicate their audience may slightly prefer applying scriptural truths to current topics, but teens strongly indicate uh, that preference over a verse-by-verse -verse study. Elders, shepherds, and preaching ministers are strongly aligned in every category. So that could be a good thing, but why might that not be a good thing? Because you may have blind spots. Yeah. You, know, you may be in your, your boardrooms and boy, everything's great, everything's wonderful, but the people in the pew or the guests who are coming through your doors may be experiencing something very different. And so this is not a, a bad thing, nor is it a good thing. It's just one of those things to pay attention to. Are you in an echo chamber as a leadership or are you in tune with the story that you're trying to tell and, and your audience to whom you are sharing it with? And be careful sometimes, Greg. I, I did this. Well, I need to be in touch with the members. So I'm going, we're going to do a quick little survey on Sunday mm -hmm. and ask the question, what, what kind of things you, do you want in your preaching? Bad question. Mm -hmm. Bad question. Mm -hmm. Because you're going to get the whole thing. So you, you have
have to reframe the kind of questions you ask to get specificity rather than just generic uh, stuff that they get back. Well, we need more preaching on this. We need more preaching on that. But I would think the existential questions are much more meaningful for a preacher. <coughs> Why? Why questions? Why am I here? What's on purpose? Those kind of things. This is last sentence here at the bottom of page two is, is, is quite intriguing, I think. Church members and attendees have an opportunity to explore, I would call them slight gaps. Um, there's some seismic shifts obviously happening in our culture, but if you're going to get folks who are willing to come through your door, are willing to engage in, in someone's home in a small group setting, whatever that looks like, um, then you've got some opportunity based on what we saw here just to have a conversation. Literally take this these sheets of paper and just sit down with your people and just say, hey, saw this uh, survey at Pepperdine. These were some of the things that they discovered. Let's have a conversation about this and see if we can identify where some of these gaps are. But wants and needs of church members and wants and needs of non-church members, particularly in how we utilize uh, humor, how we express joy in our uh, assemblies or even in our lives. But but in this context, we're mostly thinking, I think, through the lens of assemblies. And then balancing our comfort in preaching and, and also our passion in preaching. So some of the things that, that I think got our attention. Our, our time is starting to get away from us, but I do want us to take a little bit of time and look at some of the information on this last page. So we did ask a pretty pointed question. The main problem with preaching today is that it is often... And you can see the word uh, list that is on your handout there, ranging from critical and condemning to too full of stories. Um, dry and boring and not enough Bible were the top two overall choices. So this shows, however, as we look at these individual target audiences, uh, where the specific top choices, uh, how they played out. Preachers. Uh, the main problem with preaching today is it is often not relevant to the listener and not enough Bible. Youth ministers, dry and boring. So we got a lot of youth ministers and preachers that need to go to lunch together more, right? And, uh, and have some good conversations about, about expectations. Not enough Bible, intriguing, because that's the same answer that preachers gave. And too entertaining. That was intriguing. Because what do we often accuse youth ministers of? Being too entertaining, right? So that was just, just, again, it's just one of those things that, that got our attention. Ministry staff, and this, would just, this is other staff members uh, who are employed by, by congregations, not enough Bible, starting to see a theme here, dry and boring, and also too entertaining. Elder shepherds, not enough Bible, and not relevant. University profs, admins, not enough Bible, not relevant. Church members, not enough Bible, and doesn't address current issues. Non-church members, dry and boring, critical, and doesn't address current issues. What's missing from their list that's on all the others? Bible. Not enough Bible. Yeah. Which makes sense, because we're moving someone, hopefully, from a you know, place of curiosity, hopefully, to becoming a believer, to becoming a disciple, to becoming a disciple maker. And so we would not expect them to be at that disciple maker, you know, thirst and, uh, for hunger. Teens, dry and boring, and not relevant to the life of the listener. So it's just intriguing that as we notice as we get into the younger generation and to you know, those who are not actively involved in, in a church, that the, 
the emphasis on not enough Bible seems to be shifting into more um, of uh, it, it just doesn't connect with what I'm facing. You know? yeah, the hardest preaching to do is to preach to people that don't know the Bible. Because mm. if, you, if you're to an audience that knows somewhat Scripture somewhat, it, we all have to make assumptions every Sunday what we choose, what we don't, right? We all have to make assumptions. So our preaching, yeah. the hardest preaching is people that don't know scripture. I mean, if, if you know it, then you have illusions. Well, everybody knows the story of, mm. you remember when, and they're going, no, I'm just going to go, no, I, I don't know the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, Doesn't and I, you know, there's really no way. I don't. Well, there, I mean, we could have. We'd have created a longer survey instrument, I think. But I think it, it was more in that just overarching. Yeah, we we feel like we need to be preaching the Bible more. Yeah. If I was in, a, if I was preaching regularly again, I would uh, I would probably pull together a pile of group of people, go to my house, have a little hamburgers, and just say, Hey, look at this. What do you mean by non-Bible? What do you think people mean? Talk to me. How, how do you know it's that? Right. Right. Absolutely. That would be a fantastic way to, way to approach it. Um, we're getting really close to the end of our time. There's something here that I, I think is, one, again, one, just one of those attention getters. I'm going to skip that paragraph there and move down to these bullet points. Participants also shared feedback in response to, I would like our preacher to be more. So a lot of the survey was about the sermon, but we did have some aspects that were about the preacher. And so preaching ministers were asked to respond in first person. And here are the top responses. I would like our preacher, or if I'm the preacher responding to this, I would like my preaching to be more relevant. Now I want you to pay attention here and look, look for a key word as we're going through this. Relevant, passionate, and personal. Youth ministers. Passionate, interesting, and personal. Ministry staff. Passionate, relevant, and personal. Elder shepherds. Passionate, relevant, and encouraging. University profs, educated, educated, no surprise there, straightforward, and passionate. Church members, straightforward, relevant, and encouraging. Non-church members, passionate, personal, educated, teens, passionate, personal, and straightforward. There's one group that doesn't mention passionate. Which group is it? Church members. Church members. Church members. It was one of the things that just absolutely jumped off the page. And, and I remember when I was a very young, you know, very young minister, I preached a sermon one Sunday morning, and I had a box on stage. And I stood in that box for about the first 15 minutes of my sermon. I didn't move. And at some point, about halfway through, I said, Church, we have got to step out of the box. And as soon as the sermon was over, over one of the elders came up to me and said, Please don't ever use another box in your sermons again. In other words, get back in the box and throw away the box, right? And, and maybe, maybe I was supposed to be in it too. I'm not really sure. But what is that, what is that about? What is that about? Why would, you, why would our folks not seem to want passionate preaching as a top priority? Okay. Yeah. 
they think comfort might have a little to do with it, possibly? Yeah. Could be. Any other thoughts? I'm wondering what church members are reading the question as. Yeah. Sort of like, do they just see that and think, oh, like, no, I don't want him to get up there and start speaking in tongues. Right, yeah. So, Could be. Yeah. Um, what that knowledge do we have to offer? Yeah. Mm. Passionate and encouraging, and then you be passionate and encouraging. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Angry, fired up, 
Good question. I'll pull the uh, slide deck up here in just a second and go to the bottom and see if I can uh, find that answer for you. We did do some demographic uh, um, research, and so I'll see if I can pull just that up for you. Reason I ask that it's not teens. Yeah. And there's no 20 to 30s coming to your church. Yeah. Really, we're I think that's most likely going to be the case, so yeah. A 40 to 60-year-old is going to define passion. Right. A lot different than a non-church. Sure, sure. That's, that's great insight, Pat. Yeah, and let me let me show you this one thing that is interesting, and, and I'm not saying please go back to your church and change everything you're doing, but it is intriguing. We asked the top response, what motivates you to stay at your local church? What motivates you to stay plugged in? Top response of every adult classification other than non-members was my church's values, 23%. Exercising my spiritual gifts, 18%. For teens, the top two responses were friends, almost a quarter, and family almost 20%. Compelling preaching and small groups were the least selected criteria. What have we spent countless hours <laughs> over the last 30 years trying to keep in place? Small group ministry, right? And yet it was one of the least compelling factors of keeping people engaged, as was compelling preaching, uh, which is just intriguing to me, especially since that's what this entire uh, survey was all about. So... Uh, <coughs> And then non-members, what keeps you from becoming part of a church? Top response, my values do not align with the church's values and the worship experience. 17%. So this is hopefully going to provide you with a lot of food for thought, a lot to pray about, a lot to talk over. Mike Cope, uh, Jeff Walling, Rick Gibson, uh, the church department here, relations department here, they're the guys that are going to be really driving this over the next five years. Please don't hesitate to reach out to them. If there's some suggestions, some ideas you have, I know they would love to hear from you. And if you are in uh, California, in this area in particular, they, they probably would love to actually partner with you in some of the local focus groups that they'll be putting together. Yeah, um, uh, Network, I have a few cards. I'm trying to get in contact with us. If you want a clean copy of this, and you're welcome to copy this and send, send it out. Or you can subscribe to the Hope Network newsletter through our website, and I'm going to put a link on there. Thank you all. There's your, uh, there's your age breakdown.
So quite heavily weighted, 40 and older. Yeah. Uh, geographical range, as you can see, pretty much all over the board. California had 346 respondees, one of our highest. Tennessee, 253, Texas, 357. So, yeah. Again, all over the So, uh, and we, we have, can't share this data. We no, yeah, this belongs to uh, Pepperdine and Lily. Pepperdine and Lily, yeah. Yeah. Yes, there's some. Actually, there's 400. You're very welcome. 